This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Hello, I'm Freddie Sayers, and this is Unheard. Back in March, everyone's world suddenly changed. From this evening, I must give the British people a very simple instruction. You must stay at home. So on day one of lockdown, we launched Lockdown TV, a place where we could gather experts, scientists, writers, politicians, thinkers, to try to help us understand what was going on in this strange moment and what kind of world we were going to get at the end of it. And now, due to popular demand, here we are in podcast form. Welcome to Lockdown TV. Hi and welcome, this is Lockdown TV from Unheard. So over the past year, the culture wars have been flaming. They've got louder and brighter and angrier. And one of the places where they really have been fought fiercely are on American college campuses, in particular, the liberal college campuses in the Northeast, places like Vermont. Well, last week, a professor there, Professor Aaron Kinsbatter, put out a video complaining about some of the anti-whiteness he felt he was seeing on campus. Title VI of the Civil Rights Act of 1964 indicates that discrimination in the workplace on the basis of race, color, national origin is prohibited. And I think the University of Vermont could really do a better job. And I think that those who share my concerns that we should get together and talk about it. This ideology is very good at making individuals think that they are bad, that they are demented, and that they are alone. If you share the concerns that I do, you are not bad, you are not demented, and you are not alone. The reaction to that video, as you can imagine, was not entirely positive. And it started a whole train of events. There have been petitions. He's got in trouble with the faculty. And he joins us now to talk about it. Let's just give you give an introduction of who you are. You're a professor of counselling at the School of Education there at the University of Vermont. Yes. And you launched last week a video which has got you into some hot water. Tell us about it. I've been seeing a trend for some time in... Uh, in the university in general, uh, in the College of Education and Social Services specifically, 
And in my program, which is the graduate counseling program at the University of Vermont, uh, very specifically. And this trend involves uh, the um, implementation of policy uh, based on um, Ibram X. Kendi's work of so-called anti-racism, which has deeply racist uh, elements to it. And I was deeply concerned uh, about implementing uh, these programs into the counseling program, or these initiatives into the counseling program, because they would involve uh, policies like understanding a person as either a racist or an anti-racist, depending on uh, if they held views that were deemed by some group of people uh, to be consistent with racist or anti-racist. It was very clear that there was nothing uh, in between, and this is what would be taught to students. Uh, now, the students are being trained to work with adults who are in mental duress. They're going to be psychotherapists, and they're also being trained to work with children who are in mental uh, distress. They are those, those persons are going to be school counselors. Uh, so that rigid kind of ideology that uh, more or less wants to define persons as either, uh, they say racist or anti-racist, but really what it is is good or evil um, based on their adherence to an ideology. So what, what is that ideology? I mean, what are the kind of precepts that people are supposed to sign up to that you're not comfortable with? Yeah, well, interestingly, these ideologies always have very inspirational names. And uh, the, for, before I tell you what those are, I have to tell you that the names uh, for these ideologies have been chosen with a great deal of care so as to uh, uh, allow for maximum manipulation of the people to whom they are exposed. Uh, so one of the terms uh, that is in this ideology is the term anti-racism. And anti-racism sounds like something that we should all want, but when you look, uh, when you look at the suppositions of anti-racism, uh, you quickly see authoritarianism, and you quickly see uh, people being divided up uh, by by racial categories, and uh, uh, particular attributes are being assigned based on one's. Uh, racial category, such and as such as what? So, uh, if, if if we take Robin D'Angelo for example, who is an anti-racist author, um, Robin D'Angelo spends a whole chapter uh, talking about white women's tears and how they are uh, white women's tears are a sign of white fragility. That when that that when women cry during um, uh, train-ins that that is uh, supposed by Robin DiAngelo to be a power play. How does Robin DiAngelo's ideas about white women's tears work their way into the counseling program at the University of Vermont? That, so that gets back to how this is kind of a secular religion, what I, what I would call fundamentalism. Um, fundamentalism is a thought system that does not allow examination of or reflection on the suppositions that inform it. It's just good in the eyes of the fundamentalist thinkers. 
and uh, there there is fundamentalism that has uh, broken out in the College of Ed Education and in the graduate counseling program. And these ideas are taken to be um, almost sacred and their, their suppositions cannot be critiqued uh, because that is a, a violation of, uh, that, that it's almost considered to be a moral violation uh, to critique those suppositions. In your video, you talk about a new kind of discrimination, which is anti-whiteness. Right. How does that manifest itself? So anti-whiteness manifests itself um, through a, um, a, 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 a cousin of, of anti-racism called intersectionality. And intersectionality started out in 1989 as a pretty good idea, but has been morphed um, in just a perverse way so that people are viewed uh, in, in terms of the number of claims to victimization that they have. And uh, through this ideology, which wants to place people into broad racial categories, moral and immoral is determined based on how much power a person's particular racial group has to offer. And so in the, in the teaching towards whiteness and in the whiteness uh, dialogue more generally, um, this has morphed into an idea where all of society's social ills are based on the dominance of a particular race of people, white people, which is an, an incredibly scary uh, way of thinking. That there, there might be, there might be a way to have um, a conversation about what makes people successful in this particular society, and do we want are are there some programs that we can do to either uh, close some of the disparity gaps to offer more opportunity, or um, uh, you know, in, in some other way make changes? But we really don't need to bring race into that equation. Race, in and of itself, uh, does not guarantee uh, uh, one's uh, success. Uh, in a particular society. But of course, when you start attributing either good or bad traits to a person's race, you have now started an incredibly contagious dialogue that is deeply racist. How have those ideas actually cropped up within your college? Is it that they've entered the teaching materials and are being taught to graduate students? Or is it just an atmosphere kind of in the campus generally, how, how does it, what do you see on a day-to-day -day basis? I, I saw some notes uh, left over from one of our college meetings lately. And, and one of the, um, one of the, one of the subgroups, one of the committees within the college had noted that because most members of the, uh, of the college of education and social services uh, were white supremacists that faculty of color were disadvantaged because of the white supremacy that was um, that has found its way into the college. Uh, was that, was way, that what t sort of the straw that broke the camel's back for you? What was it that made you feel you had to put out a video expressing your concerns? 
well, so um, the straw that broke the camel's back was that uh, another another term that one needs to be familiar with in order to understand this is diversity, equity, and inclusion. And uh, diversity, equity, and inclusion is something that we're supposed to be doing at the University of Vermont. It's something that professors get evaluated on, but nobody really knows what it is. It's it's very broadly defined uh, in a document that we have, but there's there's no way to gauge, you know, if someone's doing a good job at diversity, equity, inclusion, or a bad job. And we have been engaged in uh, integrating diversity, equity, and inclusion into our uh, college curriculum, but that's that has resulted in many conversations about what exactly this is, and 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 how, wh what place it has in our curriculum. And the dean, uh, in the week that I put out my first um, my first message, wrote to the college and and indicated that people were being hurt, harmed, by conversations about diversity, equity, and inclusion. And that um, we should um, that the diversity, equity, and inclusion was going to happen no matter what, and so that people should stop making a fuss about it. People and like people like you. People like me. So I guess and you're now not going to get very high grades for diversity, equity, and inclusion <laughs> after this. Yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't like my chances, but I also uh, would have no idea what a grade meant because meant because I have no idea what diversity, equity, and inclusion are. If diversity means diversity of thought, I should get full marks, and if inclusion means inclusion of multiple perspectives, I should get full marks, uh, and if equity means equality, I'll, I'll do quite well. But I don't, I don't think that it means any of those things. But my response to the dean was to ask for a definition of harm. Uh, how are people being harmed? And uh, that that was the straw that broke my cam the camel's back because harm is often used as a cudgel because we, we care about people. We don't want to see people be harmed. And so when you say you must adopt this ideology or people are going to be harmed, it's, it, it's a blatant manipulation. And Did he answer I, you? No, he did not. Uh, well, he did answer me, uh, or another administrator answered me, and her answer was that um, nobody should talk to me about this anymore uh, on the listserv where this conversation was happening. And she further suggested that I was act not acting in accordance with the American Counseling Association Code of Ethics, wow. which is absolutely not true. Um, Presumably that would be first, the first stage towards being banned from that body if they could show that you were in breach in some way. Well, yes, it would. And uh, they, you know, again, just like the word harm, uh, you know, the, the, the term that you're not being consistent, you're not being ethical, it's another cudgel to get people to quiet down and stop making a fuss and then uh, there was some other accusation. Oh, yeah, that I was being anti-DEI. And my response to that was, well, how can I be anti-DEI when DEI has not been uh, defined? And uh, again, of course, no answer to that, uh, except, except to the to, uh, a joint answer from the dean and this administrator saying they couldn't force me to be uh, DEI um, and they thought that perhaps I would benefit from some psychotherapy. That was their response.
So what happened next is, is becoming a bit of a standard playbook, isn't it? An academic on campus speaks out, isn't happy with some of these ideas. There's then an awkward moment internally in the faculty, and then there's some sort of letter or missive that goes around either the faculty or the students, which starts calling for resignations, and the whole thing plays out the same way every time. Tell us how it happened to you. Well, yeah, it, it was really very disappointing because um, I had indicated privately to the dean and my department chair that I, these are the folks who thought that I needed counseling and who had said that I was being uh, unethical, uh, that I, if, if the University of Vermont were to quietly uh, state that inclusion, uh, that diversity of thought was an important part of DEI, that I would go away and that I wouldn't make any more videos and that I wouldn't take credit for it and I wouldn't take a victory lap. And so I, I, I laid out a, a, a way that this could get resolved very quietly. And uh, the next day, the um, provost of the university and the dean wrote a joint statement in which they uh, said that my video was not did not represent the values of the university. And I just, I just started my first response to that and published that yesterday. But the, the question I immediately had was, what, are the, what university values are you uh, referring to? Because my video, I had used a recent teach-in called Turning Towards Whiteness, in which a number of vaguely defined social ills are associated with someone of a particular race. And I talked about how this is a real concern because racism is highly contagious and all that it needs in an organization is a foothold and an error of legitimacy. And I felt that, um, uh, that the university in, in having a teach-in called Turning Towards Whiteness had provided this racism with a foothold, and then had led. You're lent... referring to anti-white racism. Yeah, uh, uh, yes, anti-white racism. Although I, I'm not even sure that needs to be qualified. To be honest, I, I think maybe sometimes when we qualify. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. 
J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Uh, racism we're maybe shutting down an important conversation, but um, racism is racism. And uh, anyway, uh, that the university had lent an air of legitimacy to this racism by teaching it as a kind of ideological refinement. And, uh, you know, I made the argument that this would eventually, uh, this way of thinking, these dangerous habits of mind uh, would eventually find their way to the doorsteps of the persons in society who are least able to defend themselves from it. That was my video. So I don't understand why the provost would say that a video like that was inconsistent with the university values. But again, those values were not defined. So in that same paragraph, she more or less celebrates the fact that, that, um, after, after in the in the subsequent in the subsequent paragraph, she says we value freedom of speech. It's an important part of our university culture. But before she says that, she celebrates the fact that uh, faculty in my program and some of the students in my program had taken steps to start a um, change.org petition uh, to have me fired. To, to, to get me to resign. So you have tenure, you're a tenured professor, yes. which makes you quite hard to fire. Yeah. Um, presumably you feel confident that you're secure in your job? Uh, yeah, I don't know. I guess I feel ambivalent about that. I'm not sure uh, what's going to happen. I, I, I don't think one can ever be feel um, too secure in an environment where people are monitoring one so carefully, you know, it, it, you know, it maybe wouldn't be hard uh, to make a mistake that they would want to jump on. And I'm not saying I'm looking to do that. It's just that when you're under intensity that, that is that intense and uh, when the administration is, um, uh, sort of giving the okay to students and faculty, uh, to start a, 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 a change.org petition uh, to get me fired, that does not leave me uh, feeling particularly secure. Do you have any idea what is in their thinking? I mean, these are administrative leaders of a university. Do you think they themselves are frightened? Or do you think they are sitting in judgment on you? I mean, I wonder how far you think this has gone. Do you feel like, oh, here's if there's a problem, this professor's speaking out, we better be seen to shut it down publicly and early, otherwise we might get on the wrong side of this. I hadn't thought about that. Um, I think that 
that seems unlikely because I haven't said anything particularly controversial. Uh, uh, I, I've, I've essentially said racism is bad and that we should stop that. And, you know, it, it might seem that some racism was okay because it's fashionable at the moment, but it's really quite contagious and, uh, and, and, and it'll, it'll have unintended consequences if you continue to do this sort of thing. So you're a professor of counseling. Um, you're familiar with psychology and the effects of these things on people. What do you observe as the effect of these ideas on the students? What are, what are we teaching young people to believe about themselves? So what, what are we teaching young people to believe about other people is how I think about it, because the people that I'm training are going to be psychotherapists who are going to be facilitating um, uh, uh, the, the mental health of uh, adults and children. And um, I'm really afraid that the, the next generations of students of mental health practitioners are going to be taught that Kende's version of anti-racism is something that they should take into their psychotherapy sessions with them and, and uh, that they should take into uh, the school the you know in in into the school in their role as school counselors to teach the children and that is what is particularly uh, frightening uh, because the habits of mind that inform works like uh, Kendi's and D'Angelo's uh, the the habits of mind that inform those works are uh, based on a rigidity and a set of distortions that are likely to lead to a great deal of unhappiness, uh, both in interpersonal relationships and unhappiness with one's uh, sense of self-worth. You talk about the idea of anti-whiteness. I mean, do you observe uh, white students in any way being affected by this um, in, in, that you see around college campus? I mean, is there a guilt? Is there a hesitancy? What do these ideas in some do to a to kind of student existence? Well, the, the, way, the way I mostly see it is uh, I do have a few students who, who come to me uh, in my advising capacity, and they're, they, they almost are ashamed to say it. They're almost, they say, uh, oh, this, you know, this racism stuff, this, this idea that I have to be if I if I don't believe in um, everything that Kendi has to say, then I'm then I'm being an anti-racist. It just doesn't sound right to me, and they almost sound apologetic. But they that this is really bothering people, you know, because they they in no uncertain terms, uh, but in slight in a slightly implicit manner, uh, they are being called racists, and they're. There, and there's part of them that knows that they're not a racist, and there's but there's this other part of them who where that is being told to them uh, by very charismatic uh, professors uh, who seem like they have all the answers. And it's being told to them um, when students begin to form groups in their classes. And if you don't buy into this ideology, 
uh, you tend to be on the out group. So there's this; those forces are sort of working against uh, the, the 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 wellness of students who are not buying into this. You've described it as an abusive relationship. Some of these ideas. What do you mean by that? It is abusive because the one thing that um, the, the the thing that happens in abusive relationships is one person will try to control another by suggesting that there's something deeply wrong with the first, but we'll never be specific about what that is. So I might say to you, you know, there's just, I, I don't know, there's things about you that I really feel like I could love you if you would just try to change some things about yourself. And I accept you and I appreciate you. And yet I feel like you've got some work to do, but you're never, I'll never tell you precisely what that work is. And then I'll say something like, and you know, the work is, is never done. And uh, don't expect concrete results because the work is never done. What that does is it places this person in a state of uncertainty and un anxiety where they are now encouraged to give their moral compass to somebody else and to check in on somebody else as to whether they are uh, doing the right thing or not. They're doing what the other person wants them to do. And that's, that, is, uh, all, that is almost word for word what happens in abusive relationships is there, there are these uh, vague sort of demands that are never defined and there's this growing desperation to want to do what the abuser uh, wants you to do. So the parallel there is that this concept of whiteness is in some way one of these mysterious deficiencies that people who are white are never get to fully understand, but are expected to doubt themselves, question their own intuitions, because there's something fundamentally wrong with them. That's so well put. That is exactly it. And they might have, you know, they might throw some uh, vague characteristics in there, like white people are always on time and things that you wouldn't know what to do with. And, and, is that a bad uh, thing to be? Uh, you know, well, according, <laughs> it's it, it comes from a legacy of white supremacy, is what some people in the College of Education and Social Services would tell you. Where do you think this is going next, Professor? I mean, yours yours is not the only example like this. I think liberal colleges across the U.S. have similar moods and similar cases. Um, do you think there's a backlash going on? Have you received any covert messages of support or even any overt ones? What is the state of this battle, do you think? Well, look, uh, yes, I've received uh, a great deal of support. And um, all of the support has been from reasonable people. I think the concern is that when we start talking about anti-white racism and so forth, that that leads people to wonder whether whites, actual white supremacists are involved. And I can tell you that I haven't been contacted by any. I've been contacted by people on the left and by the right. And they've all just had, they're all just really frightened. They, they don't like this. They, they want this to change. They, uh, they're, all of them uh, have mentioned America's history and how they want to look at it with open eyes and, and do what they can uh, about uh, the vestiges of uh, 400 years of slavery, but, but they feel like they can't 
uh, be a part of the conversation and they, they feel uh, uh, dehumanized uh, because they because they're not if they don't go along with the uh, w with the uh, proper narrative uh, that they're told that they're uh, that they're wrong and they're evil. And by the way, this this also applies. You don't have to be white um, to be in this situation. There are many uh, many uh, black persons and persons of color. Uh, it, it might even be the majority. Uh, I'll, I'll need to check those figures, but who do not buy into these ideas. And there are very special names that are reserved for, for those people. Uh, one of the uh, more recent ones that I've heard that has come out of a university is uh, multiracial whiteness. And that, that term, what that term allows is for someone, to, uh, for a black person, uh, to be called a, a or a multiracial whiteness for that for that black person to be called white uh, because they're not towing the anti-racism line. So it's quite dehumanizing, uh, regardless of your race. So it's quite it's an ingenious uh, structure this whole ideology because wherever you go, they find a way to get around you to the other side. Not only that, but this people want to help. People generally want the best for their neighbors, and they're willing to do some things for that. But what's happened with this ideology is it has latched on to the very best that we have to offer each other, the very best parts of ourselves that we have to offer each other. And it has um, weaponized that. And, and it said, look, if we believe that that best part of yourself is there. And so if you buy into anti-racism, um, then we believe that's there. If, if you have that part of yourself, but you don't buy into anti-racism, we're going to take that very best part of yourself and we're going to call that white fragility. Do you think this is going too far? This might strike you as a bit of an outlandish theory, but do you think there's any connection between the kind of Protestant ethic um, of even going back to those settlers. You know, we think about the Salem witch trials not too far away from you in New England or those kind of very intense guilt-driven religious impulses um, and what we're seeing today with, with these kind of ideas around whiteness. Do you see a connection there? I am increasingly, and I, I, I appreciate you asking about if that might be going too far because I've been asking myself that question for the past year. And uh, because it's it's been very important for me not to engage in hyperbole um, about this, to, to tell the clearest truth that I can about this. And uh, I now believe that we are in a very, very dangerous spot, uh, a very dangerous spot. And um, something needs to change in the very immediate future. And if it doesn't, uh, I am afraid of what's next. Um, I, I, I don't imagine what that could be, but it, it certainly is the case right now that perfectly good and ordinary and nice and caring and thoughtful people, someone could easily point at them and yell racist and have that stick, uh, for, uh, you know, for very 
for reasons that don't always make a whole lot of sense. And do you think it's going to stick to you, Professor? Are you now going to be the racist professor in the College of Education, or do you think uh, it's going to rub off you? Oh, it'll certain, I'll certainly be the racist professor in the College of Education, for sure. Um, but um, I think as other people become the racist professor in the College of Education, people will slowly begin to see. Um, the trouble is, is that the College of Education is going out of its way to hire people who share this ideology. And what's happening is they're becoming increasingly ideologically isolated. And so they have no diversity of thought. There's no one in the room to stand up and say, hey, maybe a teach-in called Turning Towards Whiteness, where we uh, you know, connect negative uh, attributes to persons of a particular race, maybe that's not a good idea. Maybe that's Maybe that is actually racism. There's no one to do that right now. Well, there's and, you at the moment. Well, there's but me, now, there's but you. I'm not invited to those meetings. <laughs> so I have to make videos uh, about it now. Um, but I'm the only one. And uh, there, there, there are people very, very quietly uh, expressing support. But, uh, but it's, it's really on the down low. Professor, thank you so much for telling us about it. Absolutely fascinating. I, I hope it, it works out and it'd be interesting to see what the reaction is in coming weeks and months. But uh, sounds like you've had quite a week. Yes, indeed. Well, I enjoyed spending this time with you this morning. Thank you for having me on. That was Professor Aaron Kinswater of the University of Vermont telling us quite a sobering story about his experience of expressing doubts about some of these new ideologies he's expected to teach and swim in, and we'll be watching closely to see what happens to him. But thanks to him for telling us about it. I uh, hope you found it interesting as well. This was Lockdown TV.